Welcome to the LifePoint Palm Bay Sermon Podcast. We encourage you to make copies of this message, but please don't charge for those copies. If you'd like to know more about LifePoint Palm Bay, please visit lifepointpb.com. Ushers have Bibles, so if you just wave at them, if you left yours at home or in the car, you can grab it. You say, well, you put it on the overhead. We do, but I still encourage you to have your own copy. So Ephesians is where we're going to be this morning, Ephesians chapter 4. Once you have a Bible in hand, it's great to see you all. And uh, I saw Joel coming off the stage just a second ago. Good to have Joel and Denise back. They've been in D.C. all summer. It's great to have them back. And uh, so you just miss people. It's nice to have family all come back together. And uh, glad you're here. We have been in the book of Ephesians for a while. If you go back and you'll remember, although we took about five weeks away from the book in the month of July and then the first week of August, because I felt like where God had us right now is really important to kind of have everybody as much as possible back, uh, walking through this together. Uh, in case it's been so long and you're having a hard time keeping track or even while we're doing this, let me give you in just a couple minutes what we've done, and then we're going to move on, all right? We've been in the book of Ephesians. The title of this series is called Custom Made Calling because each of us have one. There's a calling that we have. Chapter 1 of Ephesians lays out for us one of the primary verses of chapter 1 is verse 10 where the, the calling is laid out. The calling is simply this. This is the purpose and the will of God is that he would draw all things would be brought together under Jesus Christ, into Jesus Christ, that he would unite all things in himself according to chapter 1 verse 10. All right, so this is the purpose that God has. Now, we need this according to chapter 2 because we are all dead. We were born dead. You say, that doesn't make any sense. We were born alive. No, you were born dead. You were born spiritually dead, separated from God, all of us. And we could not make ourselves alive. It was no matter how hard we might work or all the good things that we might do, we were fundamentally incompatible with God and the condition that we were in. And so something had to be done and Jesus did it. And then he offered it to us by grace. That's chapter 2. And this is this amazing work of, of reconciliation and redemption that Jesus does in our life. Salvation. Chapter 3 says that this work that Jesus does, he's not just doing it for the Jews. He's not just doing it for a select group. As a matter of fact, he's got this heart for mankind because he made all of them. doesn't matter about race or nationality or ethnic background or social standing or, or economic standing. None of that matters. He made them all. He has a heart for them all. And so in chapter 3, he makes it really clear. It's not just grace and the gospel for a select few, but it's for all. It's Jew and Gentile alike. Everybody's included in this offering. And you begin to think and say, well, Lord, that's impossible. Have you taken a look around this world lately? We don't get along so well down here, all right? There are all kinds of divisions and all kinds of divides. We're divided by race. We're divided by nationality. We're divided by political party. We're divided by ideology, all kinds of ideas. There's all kinds of divisions in this world, Lord. What you're talking about is impossible. And he says, oh, no, I have a plan. I am going to demonstrate this work within this thing I call the church. I'm going to set it up, and I'm going to show you how it's supposed to work. And say, Lord, even in the church, have you been in the church lately? It's pretty hard for us to get along as well. And he's going to say, no, you don't do it in your own strength. Just like you couldn't save yourself, I'm giving you the supernatural, unbelievable power, me in you, by the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God in us, to do exceedingly abundantly above all we could ask or think. 
This is his plan. That's the first three chapters in a nutshell, all right? You say, why couldn't you preach it that fast to start with? <laughs> all right? Okay. We unpack it a little bit more than that. But if you go back and listen, those are the first three chapters. Now we're at chapter four, and we've started back here a couple weeks ago um, after our little summer break, and we picked back up. And I thought we would be at a different place. As a matter of fact, all the way through this series, because I've been wrestling and kind of meditating and walking through Ephesians for over a year. And our, I can promise you our plan, our schedule, or our schedule has not followed my plan. The what I thought was going, it was going to look like, it hasn't looked like. And today's another example of that. But we are in this chapter 4 of Ephesians. And two weeks ago, I shared a little bit of just personal story and testimony of how this church, this thing called church, you and me, that it looks like Jesus wants it to look, not the way I want it to look. And it took me a long time not to, or it took me a long time to realize, not to go around trying to put my imprint and my vision on Jesus' church. And, there, and two weeks ago, that was part of the, the message, was a little of my story and journey in that. Last week, we talked about, okay, if we're going to be this instrument that God uses to demonstrate how he brings all things together in himself and the supernatural power of the spirit at work in us through the church then there has to be a balance in our lives there has to remember we had that the word worthy we looked at that axios we looked at it and this balance we used a picture of the of the scale that was there you cannot have just the theory without the practice you can't just have the calling without the walking it all has to go together the first three chapters kind of laid out the calling it laid out the theology behind it the understanding the instruction the inspiration were all there chapter four it switches gears now it's about the walking, and Paul is talking about here's how you walk this out in practical ways in daily life. This week, we're going to talk about the language that we use. You say, I thought we were going to get to that fivefold gifting in verse 7. We are. I promise you, we are going to get there. I asked the Lord this week, I said, Lord, you're making me look bad, all right? Because I keep telling them every week, this is where we're going. And you keep redirecting. And he said, well, first of all, I don't care, I don't care about how you look. <laughs> all right. Um, but secondly, he said, if you don't understand everything that precedes it, then the fivefold gifting won't make any sense. You have to create an atmosphere. You have to create soil that's healthy and ready to receive this. Because otherwise, we get to focusing on the fivefold gifting, and we miss the atmosphere that Jesus wants to create before we ever get there. All right? He wants to create this atmosphere where we understand we quit trying to make the church into our image. We quit, we quit trying to put our stamp of our vision on it and say, Lord, what is your vision? And everyone's going to look different, as we've talked about before in Revelation. We have seven churches and how many letters? Seven letters, right? Seven letters, seven churches. They didn't all get the same letter. They were different. They were unique. The same thing is happening today. The Lord's writing unique letters. He's writing, he has unique plans for each gathering of believers. So what's it for us? What is it supposed to look like for us? We'll get more into that as we continue in Ephesians. Today we're going to talk about language because Paul uses language. All right, we're going to go back to verse 1 with me. So if you're over in Ephesians chapter 4, go back to verse 1. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you. Some of you probably have different translations. Some translations say, I beg you, I exhort you, I plead with you, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. All right? That word urge, English word urge, 
The Greek word is very, very important. Now, I want to share something with you, and I, I, I try to find that balance between enough information so you understand what I'm talking about, but not so much information that your eyes glaze over, okay? I, I want you to stay with me, and, and I'm a glazer, okay? So I understand that. My eyes get glazed over when I get too much coming at me. So this morning, though, I want to talk about language. When we talk about language in the Bible, there are three primary ways of communication are three primary words that are used. Three Greek words that actually we've literally taken them out of the Greek and brought them into English, transliteration. Brought them over into our English language. And we use them to describe different aspects of language, communication within the body of Christ. Actually, through the whole of Scripture you see it, Old and New Testament alike. These three words give us three different styles of language. There is charismatic, all right, this Greek word kerygma, all right? There is didactic, and then there is paracletic, or you might recognize the word paraclete that we use sometimes when we're talking about this Greek word. You say, okay, I'm already glazing over, Troy. I don't really care about any of that, all right? Let me, use, let me put it in English. In English, we would say preaching, teaching, and then this last one we don't really have a word for, which I think is a shame. Um, we could call it exhortation. We could call it comfort. Um, Peterson calls it discernment. Um, but we don't really have a good word. We understand preaching and teaching. That we have, we have a good understanding of it. And that's literally the words. As a matter of fact, in Romans chapter 10 where it says, how can, how can the word go out without a preacher? And how can they hear unless somebody preaches it? This is the word, okay? This idea of preaching is there, this proclaiming, this taking the gospel, if you will, and all that's entailed in the gospel and the good news, and you're proclaiming it, you're inspiring with it, you're saying, here is the truth that you need to believe, you need to grab hold of. This is preaching. It has a very distinct role in the church. We understand it. It generally happens in a room like this, and somebody standing up here like this. I would say it has a podium or a pulpit, but I don't have one. But, you know, it, we clearly define it. We distinguish it. We say, that's preaching. It, we understand that language. We understand the role of it. We see it. It's very clearly defined in our church. And not churches, period. We have didactic, the teaching that's also clearly defined. Usually happens in a smaller setting. Could be in a smaller room. A lot of times we have whiteboards or chalkboards or overhead projectors or we have different things. Maybe a small lectern that somebody's using. But again, we understand the order, sequential presentation of information. And by the way, both of these are very biblical. They're biblical terms and they're biblical uses of language. There should be preaching and there should be teaching. There should be the proclamation of the good news and the gospel and who Jesus is. There should be teaching because there's so much we have to unlearn. And so there's a learning that goes on with this. Paul told Timothy when he was a young man, he said, study to show yourself approved. So there is a place for both of these. But when Paul gets to chapter 4, he switches to the third, the paraclectic. We don't emphasize, I would say, if these are all siblings, this is the sibling that's not loved as much, all right? This is the sibling, they used to say, this is the redheaded stepchild. Now, I don't know where that term came from, because I'm redheaded, and I don't know that I appreciate it very much, but I heard that, that term my whole life, going, you know, that's the red, like, you treat you like a redheaded stepchild. Or as my dad would say, beat you like a rented mule. You I mean, it's the same kind of idea, you know? I don't know where you rent mules anymore, but anyway, um, 
the, this is this picture of something that's really greatly emphasized and something that's not emphasized. It reminds me of David. It's like, here are these seven brothers, and Jesse's like, oh, yeah, I got this one, I got this one, I got this one. Oh, there is another one out there in the field. I forgot about him, that youngest one. This is the feeling you get when it comes to paraclectic. When we talk about the Holy Spirit being the left out one of the Trinity, this paraclectic language is often the left out one in the body of Christ, in the church. Because we don't know what it looks like, and it's very different than the other two, but equally important. As a matter of fact, if I'm reading Ephesians 4 right, and I think I am, I wouldn't preach it to you if I thought I was wrong in preaching it, but if I'm reading it correctly, without this type of language combined with the other two, you can't grow up. Amen. You say, okay, Troy, what is paraclectic language? How is it different? We understand preaching, we understand teaching, but what is this paraclectic language? It comes, obviously, from that Greek where we get paraclete, the comforter. It really is much more defined by the fact that it's not defined. We associate preaching with this place, with this area, with this room. We associate teaching with other rooms, other places, other things that kind of give it away. But paraclectic language happens in two rocking chairs on the front porch. It happens with two guys over a cup of coffee over at Starbucks talking about what's going on in their life and how they're trying to figure out what do we do with John chapter 6 and how does that fit in with me going to work today. <coughs> Paraclectic language is two people talking on the telephone across three state lines and being able to encourage and pray for and lift up. It's not clearly defined where it happens or even what it looks like when it happens other than the fact it is empowered by the Holy Spirit. So what does the Holy Spirit does? Well, he comforts, he encourages, he instructs, he reveals. That's what he does. But how does he do it? You know, we often talk about, I have often said this, you want to surrender control to the Holy Spirit. And I believe that. I believe I want to surrender control of my life to the Holy Spirit. But when I say that, don't jump to the other conclusion and think that the Holy Spirit is controlling. Because he's not. He doesn't control you and me. I have a great book by A.B. Simpson, who started Christian Missionary Alliance, he and others, or was part of Christian Missionary Alliance. And then that he talks about, oh, what is the title of the book? The Gentle Whisper of the Holy Spirit. We understand preaching. When I get up here, I don't hem and haw. I don't take a lot of questions. I don't say, do you think this is right? Why don't we take and do a little canvas here and a question error and kind of thing. I don't do that in preaching. It's not that kind of language. I want to hear from the Lord, be pretty confident in what I'm saying, present it as clearly as I know how to do it. When we're teaching, there's a little bit more give and take and all that, but even so, there's still a framework and a pattern that happens in, in teaching. But in this paraclectic language, in this discernment, as Peterson calls it, or Eugene Peterson, by the way, if you wonder who I mean by Peterson, someone who's greatly impacted my life. Eugene Peterson called it discernment. Others have called it encouragement. Again, we don't have a good word for it because we don't know what to do with it. But what does this look like to have this paraclectic language? And why does it even matter? Now, I'll tell you, there is a time when preaching is important and necessary. And there's a time when teaching is important and necessary. But if it lacks the other, 
It is my belief based on the scripture and what God's laying out here in the New Covenant is that without the paracletic aspect of it, it often stays simply informational and intellectual, but it never becomes intimate and really goes down deep to where God wants to make the greatest change in our life. The paracletic does that. It's, you can think of it in this way. Uh, you have the Trinity. You have the Father, the Son, the Spirit, each distinct and unique, and yet a union, a working together. You have the same with these three languages. You have the preaching, the teaching, and the discernment or encouragement. You could say in one sense one is inspirational, one is informational, and one is intimate. You say, well, Troy, when I think of intimate, is that even appropriate? Should we be intimate? Don't take it in the wrong place. But yes, every human being on this planet, I don't care what your personality is, I don't care whether you're type A or type F, it doesn't matter, all right? It doesn't, and I don't know if there is a type F, but I'm just making the point, okay? It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter whether you're an extrovert or an introvert. It doesn't matter whether you're born rich or poor. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're smart or dumb as a, you know, whatever. It doesn't matter. It just doesn't. Every human being desires intimacy. We were, it, was made, it was built into us. Why? Because we were designed in his image. And, he, and, the, and the Trinity has it. There's connection. There's life that's lived this way. The problem is we have a hard time in church living life this way. We do pretty well with the preaching and the teaching. And then we line up and agree with that. It's interesting though, you may walk out of a Sunday morning in the preaching time and think, oh, that seems so clear and that was right on and I was encouraged and I was challenged by that. And then Monday morning you show up for work and it seems like whatever was so clear on Sunday isn't nearly as clear on Monday morning. And you know what I've discovered in our life? That my family has a way of muddying the waters. What was so clear in teaching gets really muddied when, it lived, when it's lived out in family. Have you had that experience? It was really clear in that classroom when it was put up on the board. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. And I like that. Oh, that's really good. And you write that down. But the living out of it in the day-to-day, it gets complicated. It gets muddy. This is where paraclectic comes in. It's not so much a preaching or a teaching. It's a coming alongside. That's what Paul said. He said, Troy, where did you come up with all this? That word urge, parakaleo. Paul says, I'm going to come alongside. It's almost as if Paul says, hey, I've been sharing all, the, I've been preaching and teaching, I've been sharing all this great stuff with you, but now I'm going to pull up a chair. I'll use Lori. I'm going to pull up a chair, and we're going to do this together. We're going to walk through this together. We're going we're to talk. There's going to be an exchange. We're going to be able to challenge some stuff in that setting and say, you know what? I know what you're saying, but it doesn't feel right. It doesn't seem right. I don't like this. And I don't lose my mind and, and start preaching. All I have at times with Lori lost my mind and started preaching. You know, let me preach you a sermon. All right? Let me teach you something. Some of you long to have intimacy and you can't have it. You know why? Because you can't stop preaching and teaching. Now, I'm not saying preaching and teaching don't have their place. They do. But there, it must also have this paraclectic wind in to, wound into it. 
There has to have the ability to be able to sit down with my children when they mess up occasionally. Not they do it often, but they mess up occasionally. And I sit down with them. Now I can preach to them, and I have. Have I ever preached to you guys? Andrew's nodding. Yes, I have preached to them. Or taught you. Do I ever teach you? Yes. But what I'm learning as I get older, and I hope they see it, and if they don't, I got more room to work on here, is I want to spend more and more time just sitting down with, coming alongside, and hearing there's, there's some give and take in this. Well, Dad, you said to do it this way, but I tried doing that, and then this problem arose. Like, yeah, that's legitimate. I see that. I understand. I've been there. I understand that. And it makes me feel like this. And I don't like the way it makes me feel, so I don't want to do it. I just want to scrap the whole thing. I get that. I understand that. See, this paraclete comes along. We, the word advocate, we get from this idea of paraclete. Sometimes people say lawyer, but someone who's on your side. It doesn't mean they agree with everything. If you have a good attorney, they're on your side even if they don't agree with everything you think. But they're on your side. You know they're on your side. This is the idea. They're here. They're on your side. There's a lot that happens in this paraclectic kind of relationship. You say, Troy, if I wanted to do this more, how would I do it? What does it look like? And practically walked out, what does it look like? Let me give you three things, okay? They're right here in Ephesians chapter 2. I mean, excuse me, Ephesians chapter 4. He says in verse 1, I urge you to walk in a manner. He said, I'm going to come alongside you. I want to have a conversation with you. I want to take this theory and all of this good news and all this that gets you all pumped up and inspired, and I want to sit with you in the walking out of it. As a matter of fact, before I share those with you, I want to read something to you if I can find it. Now, this is where it gets really tricky because I have to use technology at this point, and we don't really have a very paracletic relationship. <laughs> All right. This is Eugene Peterson. Paraclesis is language used when men and women who already have received the word of preached salvation and have been instructed in the teaching of the law, but who are in need of comfort or encouragement or discernment in the muddled details of dailiness. Isn't that good? This is what we're talking about. Now, what does it look like? How do you do it? Number one, Paul says, you do it with all humility and gentleness. That's verse two. If you're going to have a paraclectic relationship, you have to come to this place where you recognize that you cannot preach or teach somebody into a better place. You say, I don't know if I agree with that. Well, then wrestle with the Lord. All right, ask him if it's true. I have spent years wrestling with this because I had this firm belief that if I could preach well enough, I could preach people into the place where they were supposed to be. If I could teach well enough, and you know what happens when we believe that? When people don't go where they're supposed to go based on my preaching or teaching, I only have one of two options. Either they're the problem or I'm the problem. And so we usually start off blaming them, and then we ultimately get around to blaming ourselves. Humility comes into this thing. It is the paraclete who changes. It is the advocate who changes. It is the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God who changes people, who does something. But he's called you and me to come alongside, to be co-laborers with him. 
in this process of what he's doing. So I have to believe every time I have a conversation. And see, this changes the way. First of all, it changes the amount of pressure I feel when I have conversations with people because I don't go in there thinking that I have anything that's going to fix them. As a matter of fact, many times we can't have these kind of relationships because the whole time we're talking to somebody, I'm thinking about how I can fix them, how I can teach them, how I can instruct them, how I can give them some more information and they'll be better. And it doesn't work. Not to mention the fact that if you're on the receiving end of that, you usually find ways to avoid that person. Because none of us really like to be fixed. We don't like to be looked at as a project. Amen. I don't want... <laughs> That's just an amen to encourage me, not any personal experience or anything, all right? That's just to encourage me to keep going. It's like, come on, preach it, brother, all right? We don't like to be fixed. We don't like to be viewed as though we need to be fixed. Even though we recognize we got some issues that probably need to be fixed. We don't like to be seen as a project. Nobody does. It's the opposite of intimacy. You know, what inti you know what's so wonderful about intimacy? Because in that relationship, you experience a closeness. Uh, you, you experience life without one trying to fix one another. When you have real moments of intimacy, there's a connectedness without, okay, I'm going to fix this and change this and make you better and then we'll be better. It's just, you know what? We've entered into this place where I connect with you and you connect with me. And doesn't mean we're perfect. doesn't mean that God's not still working on some stuff. But the focus of that relationship isn't trying to fix the other person. If you're like me, and some of you are, you're verbal. This comes especially hard to those of us who are verbal. Because we think as we talk. We get ourselves in trouble a lot doing it, but we, that's how we think. That's how we process, by speaking. Those of you who process another way, you think a long time before you speak. That's great, that's wonderful. You understand the damage that those of us like me do because we talk while we're thinking or before we think. Paraclectic relationship says, you know what? I'm willing to recognize that I don't have all the answers, that I'm not the one who's a fixer in this. And you know what it allows me to do? It allows me to listen more than I speak. You can't have paraclectic relationship if you don't listen. And I'm not talking about the kind of listening, and again, none of you would ever do this. I'm the only one who's ever done this, I know. But I'm going to share it anyway, okay? Someone's talking to me, and they're talking, and I'm thinking, oh, they just said that, oh, I, that, this is the answer to that, and this would fix that, and they need to know this. And, but oh, I know I need to listen. I need to respect and let them share what's on their heart. So I'm listening, but I'm like that volcano about to erupt. Please shut up so I can tell you what you need to hear. <laughs> Anybody want to confess? that that's you all right that's not listening I don't know what that is that's an ulcer waiting to happen I don't know but it is not listening <laughs> listening says I put away all of my great wisdom that I think I have and all the answers that intimacy doesn't involve being an answer man teaching involves some questions and answers preaching sometimes involves questions and answers and there are some questions and answers in the paracletic, but it is much more relaxed. 
much more relational. Much more of just throw it out there, but nobody has to answer it right now. Just let it lay there for a while. Lori will do this to me all the time. She throws a question out. Sometimes I'll answer it because I feel like I have one. Sometimes, I don't know. Let's just let it lay there for a while. Pick it up in a few days. Number one, recognize you don't have the answers. You're not supposed to have all the answers. That your teaching and preaching won't fix anything. Your instruction is not going to fix them. You're just there to be with them. I'll just walk with you in this. Now, don't hear me say that we're just ignoring sin or we're in, and ignoring bad behavior. I'm not saying any of that. I'm simply saying there's a place for preaching, there's a place for teaching, and there's a place for walking alongside and encouragement. And sometimes my encouragement to a person is, you know what? You already know, the Holy Spirit's already shown you what you should be doing in this, and you're not doing it. So I'm just praying with you. I, I've been there. I've done the same thing. So I'm not judging you, but you can't stay there. And so I'm going to pray with you. And I'm, right now we're going to pray. And won't you pray? We're going to, and, we're, and we're just going to keep walking together. Look what Paul says next in verse 2. With patience. With patience. Paracletic relationships are not in a hurry. They're not rushed. They're not, okay, you've got 15 minutes to straighten up, bub, or I'm out of here. Does the Holy Spirit treat you and me that way? Can you imagine what would happen where you and I would be if at any point along the way the Holy Spirit said, you got 15 minutes to straighten up or I'm out of here. He doesn't treat us that way. And yet we find it easy to treat other people that way. They don't meet our expectations. They don't meet up to our timetable. Patience. This thing is not a sprint. It takes a while. Growth takes a while. Let me read you something else, if I can find it here. This is by a guy I just recently came across, and don't know a whole lot about him, but have been encouraged by a little bit of his reading, or reading a little bit of his guy by the name of Baron von Hegel. He says, we do humility, and gentleness, and patience. He said, this means without arrogance, without harshness, without hurry. Becoming mature takes a long time, with many rest stops along the way. It cannot be hurried. Becoming mature is a complex process that defies simplification. There are no shortcuts. Now that is so anti-American, it almost seems sacrilegious to say it. Because our whole life is about how to do it faster, how to do it quicker. I mean, we want fast food. We want fast everything. I want everything faster. I want everything quicker. There are no shortcuts to growing up in the spiritual life or in the physical life. There aren't shortcuts to it. It happens over a process of time. I have shared this before. My kids are in here to bear witness, at least Andrew. I don't know if the girls may be serving. But... I have found myself often reproved by the Holy Spirit because I'm trying to make them be and understand and see what I see when I'm in my 50s and they're teenagers. And that's just wrong. It's just wrong. What God did that to you and me? 
I know you're a teenager, but I want you to act like and behave like and think like you're 50. They can't. They haven't had enough time to get there. That's why I'm walking. That's why we're committed in this. I heard it years ago, and I tried to repeat it to my kids. I'm going to love you forever and always, with all my heart, no matter what. Because in that is this concept of, I'm committed to this thing for the long haul. There'll be bumps along the way. There'll be things you do to displease me. There'll be things I do to displease you. But I'm in this for the long haul. Patience. This is paraclectic. And then he says, doing it with love. Do it with love. Lori, would you come play? If she's coming to play, do this with love. I'm going to share something with you that is true in my own heart and life. The Lord has, he keeps bringing it back. It's not the only way that we demonstrate love, but for me, I realize it has been a key way. I believe in my own life that I don't truly love someone until I'm willing to really pray for them. Not try to fix them. Not to pray against them. Not to pray that God would get them so they'd know how bad they are and get straight. But to really pray for them. You say, well, how should I pray if I'm not praying that God would get them? And fix them. How should I pray? You just messed up half my prayer life, Troy. How should I pray? Ask God to do for them everything you want him to do for you. What do you want him to do in your life? Lord, make me more faithful. Then I pray that they would be more faithful. Lord, I want to be more patient. So I pray you do that in their life as well. Lord, I want to be more single-focused for you. I don't want to be distracted by everything that comes along. Well, then pray that for them. Lord, I want them to see what they can't see. So this is where it flips on me. Okay, so Lord, I'm going to pray that I can see what I can't see. Because Matthew already told us, we often go try and take the splinter out of somebody's eye. We've got this big old log sticking out of ours. So, Lord, I can see what they can't, which means there are probably things I can't see that they can. So show me what I can't see. It's paraclectic. It's comfort. It's not just a New Testament thing. Isaiah 40, the instruction was, speak to them this way. Comfort, comfort, my children. Speak comfort to them. It's the same idea. Psalm 23, his rod and his staff, they, they comfort me. When Jesus is talking in Matthew 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are those who are brokenhearted. Why? Because they shall be comforted. And then Jesus takes his final conversation with his disciples before he's crucified. John 13 through 18, 16, 17, 18, right in there. It's all about paracletic. He's sitting down. He's having a meal with them. There's some instruction, by the way. These aren't completely separate. Sometimes preaching and teaching happens amongst the paracletic. I mean, there's, there's, there's an intertwining, kind of like the Trinity. Distinct, but unified. 
But you see his heart as he's just sitting down with his disciples. He's eating a meal with them. He's talking to them. They're talking. You notice he's not preaching or teaching to them because there's enough room in that conversation for all kinds of stuff to come up. Like the washing of feet. And Lord, whose feet are you going to wash? And Peter's like, you're not going to wash my feet, Lord. Jesus didn't give him a message at that time. He didn't give him a 10-point lesson. He just said, Peter, if I don't wash your feet, you don't have any part with me. There's, there's a connectedness that's happening here. I'm demonstrating some things here. We're doing this together. And then Peter, in typical Peter fashion, well, then Lord, wash me all over. Give me a bath. I want to have part with you. And he says, no, the feet's okay. Feet's enough. See, this, that, that last supper, as we call it, that time that Jesus had in those hours before he goes to the cross, he's showing us what it looks like. He said, my church is built on this. They grow up this way, not just with preaching and teaching, but with paraclectic. Can I say something to you as lovingly as I know how to say? If you struggle and wrestle with prayer, let me say it this way. I struggled a long time with prayer because I struggled a long time with the Holy Spirit. I had a problem with both. I didn't understand who the Holy Spirit was. I didn't understand his function and purpose in my life. I didn't understand about intimacy. I didn't understand that this was even necessary in the Christian life. I thought, no, it's not about any of that. It's about preaching and teaching. It's about learning. It's about what you know. It's not about feelings. Feelings will lead you astray. They can lead you astray. But you cannot separate feelings from who you are because you were created with them. And by the way, the God that we serve also has feelings. We read about them. It talks about the Holy Spirit being greed. We talk about Jesus weeping. We talk about the Father being angry over them. I mean, there are feelings. There are emotions. We're not governed by them, but we don't ignore them. And so it may be that if you still really, really wrestle with prayer, that you also wrestle with who the Holy Spirit is. And the Lord says, I want to reveal both to you both. I want to reveal myself as spirit and I want to reveal to you what prayer really looks like. Because it's what you long for. It's the intimacy that you long for. Because I made you that way. And then we do it for one another. I want you to bow your heads with me. Please hear my heart. I am not criticizing preaching or teaching. They are fundamentally important. Important language. But without the paracletic, they're incomplete. And Paul demonstrates that here for us in chapter 4. ask you right now, is there somebody in your life, friend or family or associate in some way where the Holy Spirit's bringing them to mind right now? And it could be one of two things. It could be they're bringing them to mind because 
you think, well, they, they've been trying to do this to me. They've been trying to fix me. And, and so there's a little hurt over that. And the Lord may be ringing on my mind so you could just let them go. And you could forgive and have patience with them. That you could demonstrate what they're not demonstrating to you. But he almost also may be bringing them in mind because you may be on the other side of the scale. And you're the one who's trying to fix. And you're the one who's trying to teach and preach. Again, not bad. Preaching, teaching, not bad. But there comes a time, if we're going to grow up in this relationship, that we also sometimes just come alongside and say, you know what? I'm for you. I'm on your side. I may not agree with everything that you say or do, but I'm for you. I'm not against you. I want to demonstrate that every day by the power of the Spirit at work in me, that I'm for you and not against you. I want to demonstrate it in my words, my attitudes, my actions. I'm for you. Paul was doing that. This church at Ephesus, let me sit down with you. I'm for you. I'm not against you. I'm for you. Lord, help us. Because we don't know how to do this without you. Holy Spirit, reveal more to me and to us of who you are. Lord, cause us to believe that if we really want to mature and grow up into Christ the head, that we need all three of these, not just one or two. Lord, help us when we recognize that we're not doing it. When you point that out to us, then Lord, show us how to. Show us what you want us to believe, what you want us to do, how you want us to live. Help us as your people reflect you. So the church really can be this wonder, this marvel in this present age. We want to be that. What we've tasted here, Lord, we've tasted some of this. Oh, but we want to taste more. It's so good we don't want to stop. So help us, Lord. It's your plan. It's your desire for us. burden this morning for those of you who are like me, where it just comes naturally to try to fix and you're verbal and you have lots of information. I understand you. I am you. It's been one of the most difficult journeys of my life to try to begin to develop some of this paraclectic and I got a long way to go. But my heart is for you this morning. And so, Lord, I lift up particularly that group today. Because often in that there's, there can be controversy or turmoil around them. And we don't even realize why. Because we don't see it. We think we're doing the right thing. We think we're doing the best thing. So, Lord, I cry out for them today.
Reveal what needs to be revealed. Give them the courage to face it. Give them the humility to run to you with it and let you do your perfect work. And then, Lord, do this daily work in us every single day by your Spirit and by your people who also have your Spirit. Do this work in us. and see that you're good. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being part of this today. You're going to lead us in a closing song. I don't even know what it is. Just to be able to respond to the Lord. And afterward, if you need to pray with anybody, we have prayer partners to do that. And if you just want to hang around and love on one another, that's encouraged. That's, that's allowed. You can do that too. God bless. I love you guys. Love being part of this body with you. Let's stand.